If you've bought property, you likely funded your purchase partly through a mortgage. If the property increases in value over time by more than the cost of the borrowing, you're better off. In the stock market, using debt is often called gearing. The new BetaShares Wealth Builder Funds, ASX ticker symbols G200 and GHHF, offer moderate gearing across Australian and global shares for investors who are comfortable with the higher risks associated with gearing their investments. You can discover how they work by visiting betashares.com.au. Please don't forget that gearing magnifies gains and losses, so read the relevant PDS and TMD on the website and consider if the fund is right for you. BetaShares Capital Limited is the issuer. This is a podcast by the Rask Group. It's for educational purposes only. So please do not make a financial, legal, investment or taxation decision based on solely what you hear in this show. Welcome to the Australian Property Podcast. We're on a mission to be Australia's most trusted property podcast. I'm Owen Rask, founder of the Rask Group. I'm Pete Wargent, author and buyer's agent. I'm Amy Lenardi, and I am a buyer's agent. I'm Chris Bates, ex-financial planner and mortgage broker. Together, we'll take you through every step of your property journey. From first home buyer to decades of property investing. G'day, welcome to the Australian Property Podcast. This is our weekly two cents segment. We're on a mission to become Australia's most trusted property podcast. I'm joined by Chris Bates. Chris, how's it going? Things are good, Pete. How, how have you been? Mate, I've been really good. I've, um, I've actually, if I look a bit tired this week, I've been uh, camping with the kids for four or five days at a festival. So, um, Yes, it's nice to get back into your own bed after a few days camping, as you well know. But uh, it was a really good event, very uh, family-friendly. Kids enjoyed it. Um, how's your week been? Yeah, I think that's something we'll probably do when the kids get a bit bigger as well, right? So um, such a good environment for them to, um, yeah, make friends and you know, experience life. Um, yeah, we actually up in the Gold Coast for five nights. Um, we went to the Rass Road Show on uh, Wednesday night in Brisbane. So um, might have met a few people there that are listening today. Um and then we had a team event in the Gold Coast. We took jet skis out, which was pretty cool. We actually flipped one, which wasn't was, wasn't fun. Um, <laughs> I took the family to Dreamworld and then just um, hung out on the Gold Coast. It's um, such a great place for families, right? And um, it's just crazy the amount of building that's happening along the, the beachfront strip. I was um, blown away with that. We actually climbed the Sky Point Tower right up to the top um, in harnesses and things like that. So that was a uh, yeah, good little trip and got some good weather. Um, what's been I've happening been with following- you, Pete? Yeah, I've been following some of that uh, building up and down the coast, uh, mainly Sunshine Coast, but also Gold Coast a bit as well. And it seems to me like some of those developments have been un- under construction forever. I think there's mm. a lot of dwellings under construction, but they're just taking a long time to actually get finished. And uh, there's been project delays, I guess, availability of materials and overruns. Um, so there's still a lot of stock sort of in the pipeline, but it just seems to take so long to get it finished at the moment. So hopefully... Um, some of that stock will start to hit the market and ease some of those um, rental market pressures. Uh, so yeah, there's been a been a, a very disrupted two or three years, I suppose, from that perspective. Then there were some stats out this week actually on housing construction. It's still ticking along, but it's just um, already keeping pace. There's just so many people moving into the country at the moment. Um, so yeah, there's a bit to talk about this week. And yes, as Chris mentioned, we've still got a few 
um, uh, sort of uh, parts of the Rask Roadshow still to go. So if you're in some of those uh, places where we haven't been yet, Newcastle, Port Macquarie, and also the Sydney event, do try and grab a ticket and I'll be along to some of those events and see you there. Actually, while I'm on the subject, Chris, on 22nd of September, got a few spare tickets. We're doing a half-day property workshop in Sydney down near Circular Quay. So if you're interested, just uh, shoot me an email. Uh, we might just stick a link in the show notes. So we've got a few spare tickets. So uh, uh, listeners to the podcast might want to come along, just a nice little half-day workshop. Um, yeah, absolutely. I'm looking forward to that, Pete. I'm actually speaking at the PIPA conference in the morning, and then, um, yeah, we're doing some – little masterclass in the afternoon so that's going to be fun it's funny you said that around the gold coast when i was looking at all these developments it was there was so many marketing but there wasn't many in the build stage um and you know the beautiful marketing right called sunrise or whole floor um three four bedroom apartments really targeting that sort of affluent downsizer a lot of them um and they were basically buying up whole unit blocks too so they're all boarded up um all ready to go but they hadn't really commenced so that that you know that sort of aligns pete that you know they're trying to sell them all first, and maybe they're just delaying the project till the till the right time to build. Um, so, what three are we going to cover this week, Pete? Because there's um, always lots happening. Um, some good news with inflation this week. That um, while it's only monthly inflation, you know it's a bit of forecast, isn't it? I, I believe rather than a, the quarterly numbers, but um, that's all looking good as well. But what, what are we going to cover this week? Yeah, I think actually, yeah, you're right. I'm the, I think on those apartments. I think all that story, I think actually at the premium end of the market, there's still some activity, but I think it's very difficult for developers to turn a profit now. And I think that's we're going to see uh, new unit prices rising over the next few years because the cost of construction is up around 50% for medium density dwelling since 2019. And I just don't see there's going to be enough um, supply coming through for apartments anyway, unless it's at the premium end of the market where they can make it work. Anyway, the three stories we're going to cover this week. So firstly, CoreLogic did a little uh, market update. Eliza Owen, regional markets coming under pressure. That's because of the increase in interest rates, of course. Uh, secondly, the ABS put out a new experimental data series on the number of unused or unutilized dwellings around the country. That's pretty interesting. And told a different story from what we normally see in the census. And then thirdly, well, there's a couple of um, big players in the property industry. They're starting to make noises about APRA's lending assessment buffers and saying they're too high. Um, So ANZ's chief executive and also the CEO or chief executive at Stockland starting to make noises about this. So um, some of the non-bank lenders are um, making life a bit easier for borrowers, but not really possible for the deposit taking institution so we'll just talk a little bit about what's going on there as well so chris so we start with the the regional market story so um interesting piece so i guess the general thrust of it is that migration patterns are now normalizing so we did see all this sort of movement outwards during the pandemic as people looked for uh, i suppose more space getting away from those apartment blocks and high-rise towers but now things is kind of you know, normalizing, getting back to normal, borders are open again. Um, I see in August, capital city prices re-accelerated up about 1%. Um, so they're close to sort of previous highs in the capital cities, but some regional markets now coming under pressure. And um, CoreLogic did highlight there um, some of the markets like Ballarat and Geelong, Southern Highlands. These are all double-digit declines from the highs now. Um, so I guess that speaks to... 
uh, yeah, I guess just a reversal, I think, to some level of the previous migration patterns that we did see during the, the COVID period, Chris. Yeah, I think there's a bit of both of uh, decrease in the demand. I mean, it was off the scale in 2021 and, and 2022, um, even parts of 2020, late 2020, when people were allowed out of their homes again. Um, we saw, you know, a complete shift in buyers' um, preferences, really. They were very much wanting to stay close to the capital city and commutable to work because they had to get to the city five days to. And we always had conversations of why don't you consider looking to move to the north of Wollongong or, you know, parts of the central coast or, you know, Gold Coast, Sunshine Coast or Geelong, Mornington, et cetera. Um, and a lot of people would talk about it, they'd consider it, but ultimately they'd go with the safe option, which is staying close to the city. It's just they couldn't justify that commute. Even if they had great flexibility with work, we found there was still a real um, hesitancy to to make the move. That obviously changed in 21, 22. But we've seen a real, you know, that kind of back to pre-COVID, um, you know, a real uh, desire to stay close to the city and, and a bit of a concern to make this big lifestyle shift, you know, worried about future employment, worried about flexibility with work um, and, and what their options are at different employers. Um, and, yeah, the, and if anything, they're going with the safer option is, is what's going to suit them now and their lifestyle today. And um, rather than making this big lifestyle shift, um you know, knowing that they're going to have guaranteed remote work, and it's uh, so that 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 lines up with that. But I also think it's a supply increase. I think, um, you know, if you talk about somewhere like Ballarat, I, I, from what I've seen recently, I think listings have gone up dramatically. Um, and so, uh, you know, people are like, well, actually, you know what? It's a great time to take advantage of you know a, a sale price that's much higher than it was just a few years ago. Maybe we should still cash in. Um, and so if you get an increase in supply, and I think that's a similar thing in the Byron region as well. Um, and so, uh, yeah, increase in supply and a drop in demand, you, you do see this pressure on prices and there's no FOMO in the market in those markets. I'd say absolutely we're seeing after these two rate pauses. And to be honest, all the way through 2023, besides May and June, it's been a consistent flow of new buyers entering the market. Um who are taking a long time to buy generally um, and because they've been very patient waiting for something good um, and there's just this sort of pent-up demand building. But, yeah, that, that that aligns with that. And I think the rental stress down there is not as big as well, Pete. I think, you, you know, the rental price growth and that pressure to buy straight away isn't there. So if someone's making that lifestyle shift, maybe they're thinking, well, do we just rent up there for a year because we can um, to see if we really like it rather than selling up in the city and, and making the move. Yes, I think the the rental stress, uh, I mean, it's going to be an ongoing issue, but I think some of that real jostling to find somewhere to rent is just uh, people are starting to work their way into the new market conditions. There's a few more for lease signs around. Uh, probably not going to see the big increases in rent um, that we did see over the past year or two. I think, um, yeah, certainly CoreLogic's analysis showed that interest rates have impacted uh, regional Australia pretty hard. On the plus side, as you said, this week, the monthly inflation figures came out. Um, market expectations were for a decline from 54 to 5.2%, actually quite a uh, significantly uh, better than expected result, 4.9 in the end. Uh, and if, in fact, if you look at that on a three-month annualized basis, I mean, that's only, what, 2.7% effectively back in target. Now, of course, things can change. I think electricity prices are still pretty punchy. Um, we've seen fuel prices actually going back up in August. So we're not out of the woods yet, but I think um, even the Australian, uh, the next day, 
ran an article saying this is uh, priming Australia for interest rate cuts in 2024. So I think, um, you know, there are some sort of signs there that we might be getting close to the peak of the interest rate cycle, which would obviously help. Um, building approvals figures also out this week are slowing around the country. So uh, at least from the construction side, I think things will eventually start to slow off. I think, though, as you said, I think one of the issues is that uh, a lot of the regional markets have had such a good run. And I did see some stats out from PropTrack, nice little graph they put together this week. The number of Australian landlords by age and just over the past five or six years, there's been a big surge in the number of over 60 um, cohort landlords. And I guess a lot of those will say, well, hang on, I've had a 50% boom in prices in some of these regional markets. And some of those will surely be looking to sell you know, particularly the pre-retirees. This is an ideal opportunity uh, opportunity to get out and fund their retirement. So I just wonder whether one of those people who've had a really good run and they're seeing an opportunity to cash in their chips and I guess that would depress prices over the next year or two. Yeah, I do think that the premium ends of the regional markets, the good properties are still going to be hard to find um, because I do think there's a lot of people leaving the city will go, oh, actually, I will leave because I can get, you know, 600 square metres of north-facing rear land in a great spot in that suburb or right near the beach, et cetera. So, and I don't think they're likely to sell as much as well. So I think you're still going to find it's hard to find quality in these markets. But you're right, people who are, you know, potentially just want to cash in their chips and, and that they need that money for their retirement. They never thought their, you know, house on the central coast would be worth $1.5 million. Um, and, you know, that's a big chunk of change for their retirement. I would say that, you know, it's not to say the regional markets are over, right? I would say that it's a great time. And a lot of people say that in property, it's a great time to buy. But it's, when you want to buy is when there is a um, a bit of fear in the market, when there isn't this sort of drop in days on market and prices are starting to go up. You sort of want to get ahead of that, right? So I would say as Sydney, um, you know, or Melbourne or, or Brisbane, I would say people get forced out of the city more and more. They'll naturally go look at these sister cities um, and, you know, so that they will grow after they get pushed out of the city. So, you know, we're seeing some price growth in Brisbane really strong, in Melbourne, in Sydney. As people get forced out of the markets they want to be in, they'll start looking at lifestyle alternatives again. And I think that'll line up with more remote work, flexible work locked in as that battle continues over the next few years. That'll get more and more. I would bet on hybrid work personally. I don't think you're going to bet on five days, but I don't think you'd bet on, you know, zero days in the office. And hybrid work still works in those tier one, you know, sister cities. And so if that gets locked into the way that we're working um, and more and more companies just embrace that um, and people are getting forced out of the cities, well, that's going to do really well for these regions again. So, um, yeah, if, if you are looking at those regions, this is actually better news for you rather than what we saw in 2020 and 2021 when there was complete FOMO in those markets. Frenzy. Yeah, there's definitely fewer buyers around um, house sales over the past 12 months uh, down well, pretty much everywhere around regional Australia. The biggest drop in Southern Highlands and Shoalhaven sales were down by a third. And the time to sell is about twice as long as it was a year ago. And I think um, Eliza Rowan here at Corlogy, just to wrap up on this one, Chris said uh, the easiest way to characterize the markets most impacted is the price point. So some of the higher value properties in regional Australia have been impacted by the increase in interest rates. But she said the good news for sellers is that these markets do appear to have passed through the depths of the downswing. So that's interesting. Um, maybe some uh, signs of things stabilizing a little bit. But yeah, definitely 
I mean, this is not completely unexpected. We had such a big run-up in prices in a lot of regional markets over a two- or three-year period um, that uh, some correction, not at all unexpected. And we're certainly seeing that in parts of the Sunshine Coast, uh, which I've seen firsthand. Um, So we'll keep on watching that. So, Chris, second story this week. So the ABS um, put out a sort of a new experimental data series where they were um, taking a look at um, well, there's a, a range of factors right into dwellings, but they found that based on electricity use, only around 1.3% of dwellings appear to be unused of late, according to the, their best analysis of electricity usage. And I thought that was pretty interesting because that's a heck of a lot different from what we often hear about on census night when people say, well, you know, there's nearly 10% of dwellings or a million empty dwellings. Uh, but I know from first-hand experience, because I've missed two of the past three censuses. Um, one year, I think I was on a campsite. Another year, I was overseas. And that doesn't necessarily reflect um, the utilization of the stock. Now, this figure, 1.3%, looks a lot more like what we're seeing in the rental markets. Um, and uh, I, I do think, though, we still probably do have a lot more holiday homes and Airbnb properties uh, than we did a decade ago. But it's clearly not the sort of 10% of empty dwellings that we often hear people talking about, especially after the census. Yeah, I mean, it's even 1.3%, still a lot of properties, but it's nowhere near the, you know, if we say there's 11 million dwellings, I think there is now, right? So 1.3% on that, it's like 140,000 properties um, versus when we thought it was 10%, which would be over a million properties, which, you know, does defies belief really that high, right? You don't see that many properties that are, you know, bought it up or, you know, no one's living in them. But I do think if there's, you know, even if they could in- decrease that underutilization, you know, to, you know, half a percent, you know, you've created 80,000 more rental properties or you've created more 80,000 more dwellings that people could move out of rental properties to move into. And so um, I think this is a, a really, and, it, and there could be some type of vacancy tax. So if you're only hitting 1% of landlords here, I mean, this situation, um, it's not a big political thing. Um and, uh, you know, so if there is a like a cost, if you aren't using any electricity, if it's not used and that encourages people to, to make use of that land, right? It makes people just not just let it sit in a land bank it and just know that capital growth is doing all the heavy lifting. They don't need to renovate it. They don't need to enter the rental market or, or, or build on it. They could just sit on the capital growth. So if there was an additional tax on those, I think that's a something that might, may happen in the future, right? Um, because there's any solution to you know creating more dwellings immediately is is a good move i think one of the things that isn't maybe talked about enough chris is the impact of airbnb so you might notice from the uh, different backdrop this week i'm actually in an airbnb property this week just uh, traveling around a bit with the family um i think i recounted once before i stayed in uh, sydney last year at a, a tower block down at mcmahon's point there beautiful spot overlooking uh, the opera house and everything else. But I would say from what I um, discussed with some other people in the block, something like about, well, maybe 80 or 90% of the units in the block were on Airbnb. They weren't really in the best of Nick, probably didn't work that well as long-term rentals. But on Airbnb, generating fantastic returns, I've been hearing from various people, um, people in the Northern Territory getting uh, Airbnb yields of around 10% just on small properties up there. Cairns is another place, and there's actually plenty of regional markets uh, where people are getting good Airbnb 
returns. I've actually um, uh, spoken to some portfolio investors who had no intention of getting into Airbnb when they started out, but uh, maybe with a few units in places like Queensland suddenly generating um, returns from short stay lets, and it's it's effectively funded their retirement. So there's definitely um, there's a lot of this going on, and it's obviously going to have an impact on rental markets, and it's probably sucked some of the supply out of the the long-term rental market. So um, you got any thoughts on Airbnb, Chris? I guess uh, there's always the risk of regulatory changes, um, but would you ever look at it as an investment? Um, absolutely. I think it's definitely something to consider. I guess you've got to be very careful where you do it. I mean, I can't be a hypocrite here, right? I use Airbnb all the time. I use it up <laughs> in the Gold Coast. Um, I've got 50-plus reviews on Airbnb, so it shows how much that we use it, right? Um and a lot of people don't even leave reviews for the for the guests. They uh, they want it as the person renting it out. But um, I, I think Airbnb is a great thing. I think it just gives people flexibility, you know, ability, especially with families to, you know, move around, um, you know, great for tourism, et cetera. Obviously, there's a negative to all this is that it takes housing or property supply out of the rental market. Um, and But it's hard to say that the landlord um, – can't use their property to the best you know option right they can't you can't say to them oh you have to put it on the rental market you can't consider airbnb i think that's pretty harsh i do think there's certain micro markets where um you know the pressure airbnb is just taking too much of the rental supply so it's pushing out key workers it's creating um you know because it is a tourism hotspot um and you know people there's rental crisis people are homeless and and things like that so you know if you look at noosa i think it is there's some real restrictions on that um and you know there has been uh, a lot of uh not that great regulation around it etc so you know the quality of airbnb and you know protecting the issues with insurance and, and things like that so i do think it needs to be strictly regulated but i also think that it should be part of our market now and i think whether you should consider it as an investment, like, yeah, you could do well on yield, but yield's great. Maybe when you're retired and you don't need capital growth and you just want income and, and you're on low tax rates because you're not working. So, yeah, yield's great. But if you're looking to build wealth, it's very hard to make much money on yield because you pay 40 50% tax on that. And, um, you know, and then you've got to pay mortgages and maintenance and, and things like that. And yield sometimes misunderstood. I think the you know, especially with Airbnbs, it might look great. You're getting a $100,000 a year of income, but once you take out all the expenses and paying Airbnb and cleaning and maintenance, which may be a bit higher, um, how much are you really making about over the um, long-term rental market? Um, and how guaranteed is that? You know, it's if something changes in the market, plus you've got to furnish it and things like that. So um, I think people can get too excited when they look at the actual net yield and the net amount they're making is it much more than the long-term rental market and all the hassle um but yeah the dream scenario is could you get an amazing capital growth asset but also get an amazing yield on it um and so uh and through if that yield comes through airbnb why wouldn't you consider it if you think about a house up in byron for example or um you know or a really bigger older apartment that suits families but you could also rent it on airbnb um you know, so it gets great capital growth, but it also um, great yield. So, yeah, absolutely consider it. But you'd want it to stack up on its own two feet from a capital growth point of view and in the long-term rental market um, versus just Airbnb because otherwise I don't think yield's good enough. Yeah, it's a really good summary. I think there's a good rule of thumb in investing is that a high yield usually represents either a risk or a cost of um, some description or other. So if you looked at, um, for example, um, a high-yield ETF, 
you'd generally find that the, the yield might be higher, but the capital growth over the decade would be quite a lot lower than some of the other ETFs. Or I think I've seen in property before over in the UK, these houses are multiple occupancy and they sort of 12% yields and 13% yields. But the thing is that does come at a cost. It's practically a full-time job managing all the tenants and the changeover and the non-payments and the repairs. And you know, as you said, if once you net out all the costs, well, maybe that you know, the, that 10% yield is suddenly six or seven. And, uh, you know, sometimes I think you, you certainly in commercial, we're saying you can get net uh, yields of six to 8%. But sometimes that does come at a cost in terms of capital growth, especially if you're just buying an industrial shed that's you know, miles out from anywhere. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's not to say it can't be done. As you said, um, I think some of those coastal markets, people have seen some spectacular results. But, um, yeah, I think... Uh, sometimes people can get a bit misled by focusing just on the yield and that's what leads people into sometimes yeah. mining towns or one industry towns and that's that's where people really can come unstuck especially in an illiquid asset like a property investment um so yeah interesting uh stuff nonetheless but certainly um yeah there's not so many vacant or unused dwellings as people might previously have thought um so christy the final story that sort of grabbed the eye this week uh, lending buffers so um as we know when the cash rate target was reduced to the zero lower bound the regulator APRO introduced a three percentage points lending assessment buffer so in plain english if you're an investor who's going to borrow at say a six percent mortgage rate then you will be assessed or stress tested to see whether you can comfortably make the mortgage repayments in the event of a 9% mortgage rate, which doesn't really make sense now that we're at the peak of the interest rate cycle. And I think, um, well, there's a tug of war going on here. We had um, uh, the CEO of ANZ, Shane Elliott. He said, well, the settings are wrong. Uh, this is locking first home buyers out of the market. We're making um, life very tough for small business owners who want to borrow. And we're basically making banks just the purview of the wealthy. Um, also, on a similar vein, actually, um, it was uh, the uh, CEO of Stockland, uh, Taran Gupta, uh, said the same thing. He said first home buyers are crawling across their website. People are looking at display homes, but they just can't get finance because they're having to stress test people at uh, 9 or 10% mortgage rates, which just aren't going to transpire realistically. Um, a regular guest we've had on. The podcast, Peter Tulip, he said this week, former RBA governor, now with the CIS, he said this is you know, paternalistic and unnecessary. But then, uh, interestingly, uh, APRA uh, actually launched their corporate plan this week. And um, John Lonsdale said, well, there's no plans to change the serviceability buffer, although it's under a rolling review. But he said, generally, credit quality is good. Arrears are sort of under control. And they're not really, well, it doesn't seem to be any urgency to change anything from APRA's side. Uh, but do you think there might be just more pressure coming from the property industry and the property lobby to uh, re- take the buffer back to the sort of a more normal 2% level? Yeah, it's going to be interesting in this one because, um, you know, we've had a couple of months of rate, uh, you know, pauses, I guess. Um, are we at the top of the cycle now or not? I think that's something that's maybe still up for debate whether there's one or two more to come. I think it'd be a bit sort of, uh, I don't know, I think it's a bit dangerous playing this interest rate with the top of the cycle. I think we've been taught a lesson a few times. But 
things are looking likely, right? Even the inflation data yesterday, and the market's potentially not even pricing another rate increase. They're, in, you know, starting to talk about cuts. And that's when I think the real pressure on APRA will build. So if we've got three or four more months of um, rate pauses, right, and we go into sort of early next year and inflation's looking really strong um, and the conversation in the media will go, and it, I feel it's already happening, to be honest, um, you know, are we going to get, uh, you know, more rate increases? No. Okay, well, when are we getting rate cuts? That'll be the the flavour of all the news articles and the pressure will start to build on APRA because if rate cuts are coming, why are you assessing people 3% above the current rate to protect them if rates go up? Um, in particular, because it went up from 25 to 3% in 2021 because the market was getting overheated. So you'd have to argue that the market's, um, you know, that at least that half a percent deserves to be given back. But whether it goes down to 2%, that'd be a 10% increase in borrowing capacity. If that also aligns with a 1% cut in rates, um, because it won't be, you know, a 25 basis point cut and that's it. There'd probably be a few cuts. That would be another 10% increase in borrowing capacity. Stage three tax cuts come through July in 2024, I believe. And so that's quite a lot of, um, you know, particularly if you're on the higher, you know, incomes, that's quite a lot of tax um, back in your pocket, which increases your borrowing capacity. So if you've got those three things, um, you could see quite a significant jump in borrowing capacities at a time when borrowers are also willing to use that borrowing capacity because rates are going down. Um, and so... Um, yeah, that's when I think it's going to happen. But all I think it's going to do is add more fuel to the fire. And that's what I think APRA is a bit nervous about, is the property market showing resilience. It's being strong. Do I really need to throw more fuel on the fire here when the fundamentals are looking looking great? Um, and But, you know, when you start to get pressure, first-time buyers can't come out. People can't refinance. Um, and, you know, Stockland who have sort of said, uh, you know, it's hurting first time buyers, that's because they can't reduce the lock size of their, um, you know, land any further. You know, we're already down to 300 square metres and it was four, 500. So the only way they can, um, they can't reduce their prices any further, really. So they need borrowers to have more money to, to buy their lots, I guess. So, um, yeah, I do think this is going to be a, a big story and, you know, the, the pressure could get too big for APRA once rates stay paused for some time. I think there's yeah, there's definitely this uh, sort of pro-cyclical versus counter-cyclical thing here, and I guess when you've got inflation uh, that's uh, run far above target on all of the um, supply issues and uh, supply chain pressures that we've seen, um, I suppose I mean, APRO sort of works with the RBA as part of the Council of Financial Regulators, and I think actually. Um, slowing down lending is is part of the story, I guess, for sort of bringing or slowing the economy, bringing inflation back down, and maybe that's that's a part of why they've maintained mm. the buffer uh, for some time. But as you say, I mean, at some point, this doesn't make any sense. And I mean, this is also, you know, we've got a, a shortage of housing. You know, almost every week there's a a news article um, in Southeast Queensland with the premier posting. You know, we've just acquired. We just uh, built sort of eight new dwellings in Gympie, which is, you know, basically dongers. You know, <laughs> and you're thinking, well, this, um, you know, new home sales are very, very low, and you know, at some point, this is actually becoming counterproductive. Um, yeah, for sure, uh, you want to remove risk from the system. But as uh, Peter Tulip said, you know, why are we stress testing people for mortgage rates they're never going to pay? It, it's just locking. Mm first-time buyers, potential investors out of the market. It's not really helping. Um, but as you said, um, you know, maybe until we've actually seen 
uh, sort of confirmation that the next move in interest rates is no longer going to be up, then, well, maybe uh, the buffer will just stay in place for as long as that proves to be the case. And then the pressure might build next uh, next year in 2024. And I did see one of the banks um, now uh, just applying a 1% buffer for refinancing. Uh, that was so I named the institution. But I, I do think there's potential for some of the non-banks to push the envelope a bit harder, uh, potentially, not regulated in quite the same way as the deposit-taking institutions. Um, yeah, I think uh, certainly one or two of the non-bank lenders are going after a, uh, a few of the big four sort of conforming customers with very competitive mortgage rates and making those applications a bit easier. Um, so sometimes, you know, the risks, yes, you might remove the risk from the big four banks, but, uh, you know, the risks might just go off elsewhere. And in any case, is, you know, is removing all of the risk from the system the right way to go? Not necessarily. So, uh, yeah, definitely um, something to watch as we go into 2024 uh, because, um, yeah, the if, if uh, the inflation figures do come back down towards target, then why have we got this exceptionally large uh, lending assessment buffer, which we've never seen before, nothing as wide as this, and uh, that could uh, sort of fuel the housing market recovery as borrowing capacities recover. So, um, I think that's the for our main three stories um, yeah. this week. Chris, what have you got on over the next week or two? Yeah, I think it's the final point on that. I think the issue is going to be for people who need to stretch to their maximum, right? Who haven't got enough, a lot of first home buyers, um, who haven't got enough capacity at current prices is already really tight, right? They wish they had more borrowing capacity. We've absolutely got lots of those clients who are backing themselves financially and say, yeah, I can borrow more than what a bank would lend me. Um, I, I, I know I can afford it on repayments. I know my income's going to go up. Um, but so that then they want to enter certain markets and it's just potentially not enough money. And the issue you're going to have is that if you do start to see this um, belief that rates are going to start to go down, is the people who have got a lot of capacity up their sleeve who typically don't want to stretch if they then wanting to start entering the market and start stretching because they go, well, yeah, I know rates are going down. I know I don't really want to. I've got heaps of capacity, but I will because I'm going to get a better asset. So you're just really going to, whereas that that borrower who's really tight right now won't be able to stretch because they already are at their maximum until you get rate cuts, until APRA step in and my worry is that, you know, the prices are going to run on them and then when they get that borrowing capacity, they're going to have to pay high prices anyway and that's just going to be, you know, late to the party almost. So I do think it's going to really hurt a lot of the first-time buyers who, um, you know, have got really tight capacities, want to enter the market but just can't enter at the point they want because capacity is just so tight. So, um, yeah, not much happening here, Pete, in the next week or two. Um, yeah, I've had a few holidays in August and it's head down bum up now for, for a good run. Got to catch up on the old inbox. And uh, yeah, I'll be flying long haul because I've got to get back for the, the Rask Roadshow in the next couple of weeks. Um, and as I mentioned, 22nd of September on the Friday in the afternoon, we're doing a little half-day workshop property masterclass. Uh, so if you want to come and see me and Chris, um, shoot me an email. We've got a few spare tickets. So uh, first come, first served. And uh, yeah, looking forward to getting in front of a live audience again, Chris. It's been a little while. So yeah. Uh, yeah, it's usually good fun and we get a lot done, an intensive half-day workshop. Uh, so look forward to seeing you there. Awesome. And uh, as always, if you've got any questions uh, that you want us or anything you want us to cover in the show, uh, do drop us a link in the show notes. Um, you can catch me at Pete Wardian Blogspot. That's my daily blogger at Pete Wardian on Twitter. And Chris, if people want to get in contact with you over at Blusk, um, 
I guess, uh, where's the best place to go? There's a link in the notes, I think. Yeah, link in the show notes. Just check us out there. Um, absolutely, we'd love to run some numbers for you and help you think through your decisions. Um, and But, yeah, I think looking forward to this uh, next week already, to be honest, Pete. There's um, intergenerational reports come out. There's been a lot of new things we couldn't even cover today. So we've already got our three stories lined up. So, um, yeah, thanks for listening and I wish everyone a great Sunday. Never any shortage of things to chat about. Cheers, Chris. Talk soon. Thanks for tuning in to the Australian Property Podcast. If you love the show, why not subscribe or leave us a review on Apple or Spotify? And if you want to work with me, Amy, Pete or Chris, you'll find links in your podcast player to get in contact with us. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Australian Property Podcast. We're huge advocates of getting the right advice at the right time from the right people. That's why it's important to understand that this podcast episode contained general financial information only. It is not designed to be specific or personalized to your financial, tax or legal situation. With property, the check sizes are pretty big, so it's important you get advice from a licensed and trusted professional before acting on the information you hear in RAS podcasts. Thanks again for listening. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.